uh, we are currently in an epidemic level of loneliness and isolation. And I'll give you a couple of different ways of looking at it. So right now you can look at any of the levels you want to raise. You know, how often do you feel lonely? Do you feel depressed, anxious, suicidal? Um, those levels right now are higher than they ever have been in recorded history, which goes back 100 years or so. The average American in the mid-1990s had four good friends or four confidants, and the average American right now has less than one. That means most, Amer- most adult Americans have no one they can call to in a moment of crisis or when they need help or just need some companionship. The majority of us are uh, alone right now. This is really hurting us both on a micro and a macro level. Uh, I can tell you the following is that all violence starts with disconnection. So I look at every single, I read the story about every single one of those mass shootings and all of those people have some level of disconnection. Welcome to Men of Abundance, the podcast for those looking to level up their lives by hanging out with some of the greatest leaders and established professionals in our community, living a life of integrity, honor, and the abundance mentality. Prepare to pay it forward with your host, former army medic turned lifestyle entrepreneur, Wally Carmichael. What is going on, all of you amazing abundant leaders out there? I'm super excited that you're here and hanging out with me just for a few minutes and getting in on this amazing conversation. I know that your time is the most important thing that you have in your life, and you're sharing a few minutes of it with me, and I greatly appreciate that. That being said, I do have one other favor to ask of you, and that is for you to hit that subscribe button so you don't miss a single episode, and then take a screenshot of... Wherever you're listening to this at, if you're listening on your phone, most likely, or take a picture of your computer screen and share it out on social media, hashtag men of abundance, and then tag me in it so I can thank you for that and lift you up in whatever it is that you're doing. And then one more thing, very simple, it takes like two minutes, just jump over to iTunes, leave a rating and review. What that does is it helps people find men of abundance without you even personally introducing it to somebody, which would be really cool too. But at least that way, Men of Abundance gets pushed up in the search engines of of the Apple machine. So when others are searching for any of the terms in any one of these episodes, they will be blessed in their day by finding Men of Abundance and getting in on these conversations. I greatly appreciate it. And those who find it will greatly appreciate it as well. Now, our featured guest today for two decades was the financial industry's go-to guru on marketing and branding. He is now the CEO of Thrive Union, an organization whose mission is to fulfill a need in modern society, helping people go from meaningless isolation to purposeful belonging. Though Peter struggled through school with undiagnosed ADHD, he was admitted and graduated from the University of California, Irvine, in political science. Post-college, he became a traveling speaker and salesman chucking up over 3,000 presentations and living in over 22 major cities. Peter went on to found a successful advertising agency and software platform dedicated to financial service professionals. He quickly became the industry guru, writing numerous books, including one of his best-selling works, The Brand Called You. Peter is a truly fascinating and multifaceted guy with decades of experience in speaking to audiences about his business knowledge 
inspirational journey, and human behavioral insight. He now pursues his passion for empowerment and community building, shedding light on society's growing loneliness epidemic through his visionary organization, Thrive Union. Men of Abundance, it is my pleasure to introduce you to Peter Montoya. Peter, welcome to Men of Abundance. How are you doing today? I'm doing great and very excited to be here. Excellent. Where are you at in the world? I'm in Orange County, California, specifically in the little town of Tustin. Tustin. Been to California a couple of times. Had not been to that area, I don't believe. Not that I can remember anyway. Yeah, Tustin's kind of uh, next to Newport Beach, Irvine, and Anaheim is kind okay. of where it is. Everyone knows Disneyland, so that's yeah, a good marker. Yeah, of course. Marker. You say Anaheim. I'm like, oh, yeah, been there. <laughs> I'm a Disney Disney fan, big time. That's why I live out here in Florida and have annual pass. I'm, I'm a theme park fan, let's put it that way, but I particularly like Disney. I, I can understand why. It's an amazing, amazing experience, a great product. Yeah. Uh, and I go there not only to marvel at the creativity, uh, but also at the operations. As a business owner, I'm constantly mm-hmm. marveling. Uh, what they pull off on a regular basis. Oh, you and me both. And I'm totally looking forward to doing the VIP behind the scenes bit. I had an opportunity to talk with Lee Cockerell, um, who actually, I don't know if you know who that is, but uh, he was the, um, let me make sure I get his title right. I had a conversation with him a while back. He was the executive VP of uh, Walt Disney World. And he was managing the Hilton uh, Resorts before they Disney hired him to go open up uh, Disney in um, France, I think it was. And then he came over to Walt Disney World, and he was over there for like eight years. Uh, was the VP of um, Walt Dis- the entire resort area. It's just a, an amazing individual to have a conversation with. He wrote a book called Creating Magic, uh, which is really really cool book for those of us that <laughs> geek out on that kind of stuff how cool yeah for sure so i'm looking forward to doing the whole behind the scenes i know a couple of people have done it because i loved I, I i'm the same thing i go there and i'm just amazed at how i go to other parks i go to like universal i have annual pass at universal and disney and we go to bush gardens and sea world and all that and just the whole the magic is just the best word for it you mm-hmm. just can't get it anywhere else but disney Oh, I totally agree. I've done you know so many of their products. I've obviously watched their films, and they're absolutely mm-hmm. a powerhouse right now in media. Oh, for sure. Uh, been to their parks, and then also been on their cruise ships. And I, I went on their cruise thing twice now. It's an amazing experience. I would go there without kids. Wow, yeah, that's one thing I have not done yet. So that's definitely on the uh, very close uh, short bucket list. <laughs> Good for you. Yeah, absolutely. So I like to start out with an attitude of gratitude, man. What do you have to be grateful for today? Uh, my life is so incredibly uh, blessed. I'm, I'm so lucky that I'm healthy. I've got two wonderful teenage children who I really adore. I've got great relationships with, and I, I'm absolutely madly in love with, with my wife. And uh, every day I wake up with her is like being on vacation. <laughs> I absolutely love that, man. That is right there. That is what it's all about. Absolutely love that. And to have a, a strong relationship with your teenage kids, that's pretty cool, too. Yeah, I really made a major shift in my parenting because I was raised uh, kind of with a, uh, you know, children are meant to be seen, not heard. Mm -hmm. What the parents say is what you do as a kid. And then obviously there was a very strong uh, corporal punishment 
aspect to my parent, way I was raised. I was really certain that I didn't want to raise my kids that way. I never, you know, shame them or beat them, but I didn't really understand the relational component and how important that is. I'm on my second marriage to my wife Amy and she might be the world's best parent. And being with her really transformed my parenting, and I really came to focus as much on the relationship as the um, advice or parenting side of the relationship. And so I really work hard to make sure I'm spending time with my kids just as a companion and a friend where I'm not giving them unsolicited advice. Uh, as adults, we hate unsolicited advice. As kids, they hate unsolicited advice. So I really worked hard to stop parenting all the time. And that's transformed my relationship with my kids. That's not an easy task to do either, especially no. coming from the background that you came from. Yeah, keeping my mouth shut because uh, I, you know, obviously I, I know that I'm the smartest person in the world. So uh, <laughs> all I want to do is share my wisdom with my kids so they don't make the same mistakes that I did. Uh, and I've, I've learned with, without the relationship, they are not going to listen to a single word of my parenting advice. Mm hmm. Yeah, that's a very good point. I have two older boys, one's 25 and one's 20. And then I have a 10 year old at home. And both of the older ones, well, even the younger one, he'll, he, he challenges us, you know, and, and not in a not in a negative way, not like you think, well, who are you to challenge me, but we encourage it mm -hmm. to have the conversations when we're at dinner and having, you know, political conversations or, you know, hap what's going on in the world type of conversations. And, and they're, you know, based on their thought processes, partly from us bringing them up, but also from what they've learned in their little circles, you know, mm -hmm. outside of our household. And the way they see things is different than the way we see things and mm -hmm. the way we're brought up. So we encourage it. And, yeah. you know, that, that free thinking. More. Yeah. Uh, I was, uh, I've got uh, ODD or oppositional defiance disorder. Uh, so as a kid, I was a handful to manage because all I did was whatever I was told to do, I would just say no. Mm -hmm. uh, and now I've got a 13-year-old son who is a mini-me, and he's got ODD. Mm -hmm. And what I know about that characteristic, it is a nightmare to, marriage, to manage as a parent. It's just a pain because he doesn't want to brush his teeth. He doesn't mm -hmm. want to go to bed. Everything is a fight. And it's a horrible quality to manage as a kid, but it is a wonderful skill set as an adult. So I uh, relish uh, in your – your, in your, your nurturing of uh, your independence of your kids and developing their critical thought and independence. That's just great. Yeah, and you know, it is a challenge. Like you were just saying, my 10-year-old is exactly that. It's a challenge with everything, getting him up for school. And then I also have the challenge of explaining to him why school is important to him at this point in his life, although I push back on that inside my own head. <laughs> <laughs> knowing what I know now is as an entrepreneur and my my own you know upbringing in school and they're teaching him in my mind and I don't tell him this at this point but they're teaching him a bunch of crap that he's not going to have any use for but I explained it to him that it's a puzzle and everything you do you have to do your very best how you do anything is how you do everything and this is something that you have to hone, rather you decide to go on and do your own business, work for somebody else or whatever, you have to have this discipline mm -hmm. of doing, not, you're not going to enjoy everything that you do. I love doing this podcast. I love this part of doing this podcast, having these conversations. I don't necessarily enjoy that three, almost four years into it now, doing the editing 
and all the other stuff that goes along with it, you know, and the scheduling and everything else. I want somebody else to do that, you know. <laughs> so, and I explained it to the, him that way. How do you have that conversation with your kid? Uh, well, one of the things I've done from a very early basis is, first of all, I've like my kids, you know, living in a materialistic world, want materialistic things. They want to have their own money so they can buy their own things. So I use that to my advantage, and I more or less show them the average yearly income and average lifetime incomes uh, by education level, and it's easily found online. And more or less, people who never have a high school degree make a paltry amount of money over their lifetimes, a couple hundred thousand dollars. Then you start going up a high school degree junior college degree, college degree, master's degree, doctor degree, and uh, it keeps going up and it, it uh, finally tops out at master's degree. And the lifetime earnings are like $6 million and the unemployment is like 3% or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then everything is going down from there. And I basically say, explain to them, you know, which one do you want? They look at that master's degree and they go, you know, I, that's how I want much money I want to make. That's how I want to live. And I said, that's fantastic. And I say, basically, here's the deal. The second you are out of school, you are off my payroll. I'm completely and totally cutting you off. So if you decide just to get through high school, Three months after the day you graduate, you are out of my household and I'm not paying for you anymore. That has given them a tremendous amount of motivation to want to go to college mm-hmm. and also get their master's degrees, which I'm fortunate enough to be in a place that I can actually pay for for them. Uh, but more or less after their master's degree, after about three months or so, uh, I've told them they're cut off. Uh, so they're very motivated now uh, to be in school and get as far as long as I possibly can so they have maximum skill sets to earn the incomes to live the lifestyle that they want. Well, that will certainly do it. That's for sure. Or at least figure out some sort of skill that they're going to do because they're quick to point out that this YouTuber and that YouTuber and this gamer and that gamer. And I say, well, that's great. Or, you know, a sports figure, whatever. I said, well, that's great, but that's an anomaly. We're looking mm-hmm. at averages here and you're not average. I'll tell you that right now. But, you know, you have to have things set up, you know, just in case you're not that anomaly. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> for sure. So, you know, we spoke a little bit about before we got started here, a little bit about what you do. And that's your professional stuff. That's what you do professionally. But here at Men of Abundance, we like to get to know the man behind the abundance. So if you would, how would you describe yourself? Uh, gosh, that's a great question. So yeah, I've had my professional career, which is usually how most people like to identify themselves. But kind of how I think of myself in my moments of solitude uh, is what I, you know, how I really define myself. I'm a, I'm a world class spouse uh, to my parent, to my to my loving wife Amy, and I think she would say the same thing too. I'm really good at loving my wife and taking good care of her and being a good partner. Uh, I'm a pretty good dad. I, I would still get myself get myself slightly lower ratings on that. Uh, as far as raising my kids, I still want to be better at that one. And the other thing I really am working hard on is being a good leader of, of friends, family, and community. Uh, I am paralyzed, uh, nearly paralyzed and petrified uh, by what I see on the horizon for humanity. And the idea of leaving humanity and society worse off uh, than when I found it to my kids and the next generation really drives me to want, want to make a positive and lasting impact on society and on the planet. Uh, and I really hope that's what defines me by the end of my life rather than my professional accomplishments. That is definitely something wonderful to look forward to and to uh, leave behind for sure. Uh, I dig that. You know, one of the things, and and we're going to get more into your story and, and, you know, why you do what you do. And the way that I like to do that is to 
kind of kick it off with a kick in the gut moment because sometimes that kick in the gut moment is what changes the trajectory of our life Mm -hmm. and puts us on a path that we sometimes didn't expect. So if you would, share with us a kick in the gut moment and really make us feel that. And then we're going to get into what you're doing with that information, what you learned from that. Yeah, I've had so incredible many uh, kick in the gut moments. I became an entrepreneur at the very, very mature age of 28 years old when I thought that I knew it all uh, is when I first started in business. And the last 30 years, my mantra, uh, or 25 years, I should say, of business, my mantra is fall down seven times, stand up eight. I only have one more success under my belt than failure, and I just uh, never uh, give up. And I think probably the darkest moment was probably somewhere in 2009 or 2010 uh, when I had uh, I was married to my first wife. I had two young kids. We were looking into the deepest, darkest pit of the Great Recession. I uh, had no money in the bank, very little revenue coming in, and, and there was a I was we were losing our house. It was beginning of the foreclosure process. At the time, we didn't know we would probably be able to stay in our house for another two years, which we did. But uh, I was looking at this tent city that was being built in um, Orange County, people who were losing, losing, losing their homes. And I was thinking, okay, that, that's our fallback. If we lose the house, that's where we'll go. Um, and I was at the time running an advertising agency and just beginning a software business. And my advertising agency uh, was an eat what you kill model where every single month we uh, had to, to generate you know, hundred or $150,000 in revenue just to keep the doors open every single month. And by 2009, it basically all the revenue, all the sales basically stopped. No one was spending any money. So I had to basically close down the advertising agency, uh, shutter, uh, nearly shutter that advertising business, let go a bunch of staff, and really put my foot on the gas for the software business. And the software business, as much as I wanted to be a magic bullet and overnight uh, change my life and bring financial fortune, it was a you know, progressive, incremental slog. And by 2012, uh, I think I was actually making money in that business. By 2015, it was making a lot of money in that business. And then two, by 2018, uh, I sold it for multi-millions of dollars, allowing me to pursue more of my passion uh, rather than uh, a living. Uh, that's a heck of a story. And how did you get to the point to where, I mean, what was your thought process as you were going through and building up that business? And what do you think it was that that help, helped you hang on and keep pushing forward through that? Well, the good news is being an entrepreneur, and you know, being an entrepreneur is only a part-time job. You can work either 12 hours of the day that you want to. So, you know, I realized that I was sick and tired of having having an eat what you kill uh, business, you know, where you're selling projects. So I got incredibly committed to the subscription or recurring revenue business. I more or less did work 12 to 14 hours a day, uh, six, six and a half days a week for the better part of 10 years. And, you know, being uh, there's a very, very fine line between being delusional um, and being uh, in positive thinking. And I probably rode most of that line for the better part of 10 years. Mm-hmm. I really believed that I could build this recurring revenue business so much so that I was willing to put in the effort of 12 hours a day uh, for all of those years. So I guess you call it you know, just absolute and total will, uh, which is believing you can get it done and not quitting no matter what happens in your way because you believe you're going to end at the top of the mountain. Yeah, well, that's a very good point that you specifically talked about the recurring revenue model because 
so many businesses out there are the opposite of that. They're what you talk, what you're referring to as eat what you kill. Real estate agents, for instance, they're constant mm-hmm. selling. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, unlike a, you know, if you have like an insurance type business, then obviously you're building and building and building and building. And the more you put into the funnel, so to speak, then you know the better off you're. More you can ease up on the sales process. You know, mm-hmm. otherwise you're just a constant salesperson. Mm-hmm. You know, and that and that's very difficult on the family, and that's very difficult for many people. If they and, and I'm picking on real estate agents, but there's many other models out there that are like that. Absolutely, and so yeah, if you want to build a recurring revenue business, it usually is you know between a two and five year incremental growth plan, and you've really got to be committed to it. So the major difference between salespeople and business people is their revenue horizon, mm-hmm. and salespeople have got a revenue horizon of maybe a, two weeks to a month. They're looking at the revenue, the sales commissions for the next two weeks to a month, and what a business person does is they are looking at a two year revenue horizon. So all the things that I'm currently doing on my business today that I think about all day long are going to be generating revenue for me in six months to a year, uh, not next week. Mm-hmm. So changing that revenue horizon is what's really important to go from being a, a salesperson to being a business person. Yeah, exactly. And one of the things that I keep in my mind in that regard is when I do finally decide to retire if I do um, because I've already retired once from the you know air quotes from the military so I got that you know for the rest of my life but then I'm building this other wonderful thing and that is that ultimately um, well let's just even say when I pass when I die I want to die with income because that income is going to go on to my family it's not a matter of how much money do I have to leave behind I want it to be income and that's ultimately what I'm building for for my legacy for my family Mm mm-hmm that good for you. Yeah, and and I basically, quite frankly, learned that from a very good coach who I've uh, <laughs> paid a lot for, and and has since become a very close friend of mine. So <laughs> uh, <laughs> I didn't make that stuff up myself. I had to get help. <laughs> <laughs> good for you. So, you know, when so when you sold that business, now you went on and did something else completely spectacular in my mind. I just think it's absolutely wonderful. Tell us a little bit about Thrive Union and how did all that get started? So let me kind of describe the problem, first of all, in that we are we are currently in an epidemic level of loneliness and isolation. And I'll give you a couple of different ways of looking at it. So right now, you can look at any of the levels you want to raise. You know, how often do you feel lonely? Do you feel depressed? anxious, suicidal, um, those levels right now are higher than they ever have been in recorded history, which goes back 100 years or so. The average American in the mid-1990s had four good friends or four confidants, and the average American right now has less than one. That means most Amer- most adult Americans have no one they can call to in a moment of crisis or when they need help or just need some companionship. The majority of us are uh, alone right now. This is really hurting us both on a micro and a macro level of I can tell you the following is that all violence starts with disconnection 
So I look at every single – I read the story about every single one of those mass shootings and all of those people have some level of disconnection. They were either alienated as teenagers. They were operating as sole business owners. They were not in relationships. They're always alone. That really is the source problem for all of this violence we're seeing right now um, in society. And I'm not oversimplifying it. I'm only saying that's one of those. You can see it as a commonality among all of the shooters these days. So on a micro level, it's really, really horrible for us. And on a macro level, it's affecting our politics. So, I mean, I don't know anybody from any side of the spectrum right now who looks at our politics right now and go, goes, boy, this is great. We're solving so many problems. We're moving our country forward. Uh, rather, they're probably disgusted as I am, which they don't want to look at it, see it, because we're really practicing the politics of decimation. Uh, how can we beat up the other person enough that we're at least on top for the moment? Uh, and it's a horrible state of being. We're not solving any of the problems our country is facing. We're not moving our country forward. So this disconnection makes us more anxious, less able to empathize with our countrymen, and it makes it nearly impossible to solve any problems. So I started Thrive Union uh, as a non-religious, non-political organization where people can come back and be in community. Community is incredibly important to us uh, as mammals and especially as homo sapiens. We need other people for our psychological well-being uh, for our own health and also for our countries no i totally agree absolutely 100 percent. i mean back many many years ago men used to hang out mm-hmm. in tribes and small groups and and whatnot now men do but it's usually not in activities that is all that productive uh you know strip club uh <laughs> hanging out and drinking you know stuff like that and just not you know not my thing uh, yeah. There was a time and a day when that was my thing, and it was just completely destructive. Uh, not something that I've even remotely raised my boys to consider like my dad did for me or to me, maybe. <laughs> In that case, I felt seldom say to me, but that was uh, not a good thing to do, looking back on it. So how many hours a day do you think the average human being needs of good social contact? Social contact could be breakfast, lunch, dinner, or coffee. It could be sitting down and having a conversation. It could be going and drinking with your buddies. How many hours a day do you think the average person, adult person needs per day if they want to feel confident, healthy, have healthy self-esteem, have a positive outlook in life? How many hours a day do you think the average adult person needs? I would think maybe a day, an hour or two. Uh, the actual what we do need is between three and four hours a day to really reduce our anxiety and make us feel authentic and connected to other human beings. However, the average American right now is only getting about 41 minutes a day of good social contact. So the question is, where is all that extra time going? I mean, we work eight hours a day. It leaves 16 other hours a day. You need eight hours of sleep or so plus getting ready. There's still a, a lot of margin in there. So where is the time going? And the truth is we're spending 11 hours of day in front of screens. That's computer screens, TV, phone, and tablet that is absolutely consuming all the time we should be spending in social contact with fellow human beings. Well, and, and does that include like, like some folks, like I know uh, a person right now who hadn't been working for quite some time and she has recently gone back to work and <laughs> the funny thing is, is she's always, you know, she's interacting at work. She's actually been put in supervisor positions against her will, if you will. Um, but she is so much more productive outside of work 
because she's having that personal interaction with people in a leadership role and a kind of a mentorship slash counseling role, if you will. But she's not a counselor. She works at a call center, quite frankly. And, you know, does that count as towards that time? So what qualifies as good social time is largely subjective, but let me give you a way of looking at it. Let me give you one paradigm of looking at it. Let's just say there are three ways that human beings can be with other human beings. The first way we can be with somebody else is transactional. This is like ordering uh, food through a drive-through menu. This is treating other people as basically an information guidepost. When you're asking information, you're basically trading information, and there's no real humanity present when you're doing that. The second way of being with other people is problem solving. And we as human beings are, you know, are very fortunate at this large frontal cortex that helps us do executive management and solve problems. That's the second way of being together. And this can be a little more critical, yet very, very constructive use of time. The third way of being with other people is empathetic. And this is where we can project ourselves in the shoes of other people. We are truly present uh, with all of our faculties paying attention to other human beings. And I would argue if you want to get three to four hours a day of good time, you want to spend as much of that time actually in empathy. Now, can you be in empathy when you're transacting information and when you're problem solving? You can, but many people aren't. So what I would say is this, is you want as much three to four hours to strive for of three hour, three to four hours of good empathetic time with other human beings every day. And does another human being, does that include that time with your spouse and your children? Absolutely. Just as long as you're not sitting in front of a screen. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because there's a lot of distractions in that regard. And it's interesting how you, you know, you talk about how certain, you know, how many close friends or acquaintances uh, we have these days. I mean, I can think of at least two people. Well, there's probably five people that I could call if I was in a lot of trouble. But if I was in Japan, lost my wallet, and I could get to a phone and call at least two people who have the wherewithal to, I would just tell them, look, I lost my wallet. I need your credit card number. What is it? <laughs> they would have absolutely no problem whatsoever, and they could do that. You know, they would they would trust me with that. Um, but it, that hasn't always been the case. You know, it's it's taken a lot. We have, these are people that I've been through a lot of stuff with. But how many people have those type of relationships that are able to have that kind of trust? Yeah, not nearly as many as we used to, and it really is a concern. So if a listener's listening to that and they don't have that kind of relationship, they've got to get out there and start developing it. And I read a recent study. I'm going to give you kind of um, broad numbers. It was like you need 50 hours basically to make a friend. So if you want to go from acquaintance to a friend, it takes about 50 hours. It takes about 100 hours for them to be a friend, to being a good friend, and about 200 hours to get together to make them into a really a best friend or a great friend. So it just takes a lot of time uh, being with other people to make those friendships. And I would argue it is very, uh, very well worth it. Uh, have you ever heard of the longevity survey a study uh, done at Harvard University? I have not. So they did an 80-year survey uh, where they tracked 421-year-old men starting in 1990 to figure out what are the most important factors in living a longer happier, healthier life with better brain function. Every year they went out and talked to these 400 men uh, and they came from all different sorts of backgrounds. Half of them went to Harvard, half, half of them were raised in Southie, Southie Boston uh, from working class families. They went on to become presidents, secretaries of state, lawyers, doctors. A lot of them died in World War II. They became bricklayers, uh, alcoholics, and truck drivers. 
And after tracking these men for nearly 80 years, what do you think was the number one factor decisively if you want to live a longer, happier life with better brain function? I would say close friendships or close. There you go. Quality relationships. Mm -hmm. So if you want to add years, not only years to your life, quantity of years, but also make the years you have alive better quality, the number one thing you can do is get better friends. So my recommendation, especially when I run into people who are feeling depressed, is to start spending an hour a day outside of the house being in a relationship with somebody else. You can talk to people at a coffee shop. You can make plans to go bowling. But you can go to a library with a friend. But you got to spend at least an hour a day if you want to start bringing yourself out of that pit of depression. You know, it's it's. I'm that guy, and it drives my wife crazy sometimes. But I'm that guy who will be in an elevator, or we were at just a couple Sunday night. We were at Disney on the uh, Skyline, and it's my my wife, my son, and five other people are sitting right across from us, and I start up a conversation. Uh, and I do it all the time. And I just ask questions. I don't reveal a whole lot about myself per se, um, but I just ask a lot of questions. And we have we start laughing. We have a good time. We have fun. And then we part. And I dig doing stuff like that just because I, I love learning things about people and seeing what I can get them to tell me. Um, and you can get quite a bit. But I've actually made a lot of very good friends by doing that, people that I've stayed in touch with. So, Wally, that practice is unbelievably important. Uh, what I didn't break down a second ago when I said relationships are the most important criteria, psychologists actually break it down into two types, your high-intensity relationships and your low-intensity relationships. Your high-intensity relationships are 60% of that relationship mix. That's your spouse, your kids, and your good friends. The other 40% are the people that you run into every single day. So when you're sitting in line somewhere, the, per- the way you treat your waiter or waitress at a restaurant, the way you treat uh, the postal worker who's walking down the street, those relationships are 40% of your emotional health. So what you are doing there is modeling a superior behavior, which is really important for both you, your family, and your friends' psychological health. Yeah, yeah. It makes me feel good. <laughs> it does. I love it. You get yeah. a little little rush of adrenaline mm-hmm. and then also oxytocin. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's, that's true. That's very cool. So, man, we're at the point where we're going to pay it forward. You ready to do that? Absolutely. Excellent. So share one to three actionable steps that men of abundance can take today. I think uh, I, I've got I've learned a lot. You know, I I put on a two day course called Leadership Power. And in that course, there are 16 different tools and 35 different techniques. And I think the most important tool to living a happy, healthy life outside of developing high-quality relationships is that is the concept of absolute responsibility. And absolute responsibility is very different from your ordinary responsibility. Ordinary responsibility is about who's to blame or who's to shame, who's obligated to get something done, and when it doesn't get done, who takes responsibility, who do we blame or shame for it. Absolute responsibility is a concept which is really kind of radical and it's really hard for a lot of people to truly adopt. And absolute responsibility is about realizing you are the sole creator of all the circumstances in your life and taking complete and total ownership of the outcomes independent of who may have caused them. Is that making sense so far, Wally? Oh, 100% to me. Have you ever read the book Extreme Ownership? Absolutely. Yeah, that's 100%. That sums it all up right there. 
It does. And that concept is kind of easy to intellectualize. It's much harder to live that way. But as soon as you start living that way, when you realize that you own the relationship between you and your spouse, you own the relationship between you and your teenage kids, you own the relationship between your, your employees and your people. And if you're going, well, gosh, my spouse doesn't like me half the time. My two teenage kids are a pain in the butt. My employees don't care. Guess what? That is what you have created. And one, a person cannot change what they do not own. And as soon as you own those things, it creates an amazing amount of empowerment. So you can actually change those things for the way that you want them to be. It completely takes you from being a victim mindset of, oh, poor is me, my employees suck, or oh, poor is me, my kids are really hard, or my wife is, or my spouse is really erratic and they're really difficult. It takes you from that kind of a mentality, which is a victim mentality, which makes you feel disempowered, Mm -hmm. to realizing that you can change just about anything you put your mind to. And over time, you will find you can actually create the life, the business, and the relationships you desire. And number two, you don't get angry very often anymore. I mean, I almost never get angry anymore. Because, you know, if, if you're a business traveler, once a year you're going to miss a flight. Once a year you're going go to go to a hotel and they're going to have gotten rid of your room. You know what? That's just kind of the luck of the draw. It's just going to happen if you do it <laughs> enough. And I don't get angry at those things anymore. Yeah. So uh, one definition of luck is luck is everything outside of your personal control. Hmm. That's one way of looking at luck. And what absolute responsibility does is it dramatically expands the boundaries of what you control and leaves fewer and fewer things to chance. Absolute responsibility is the most transformational philosophy uh, for empowering anybody at any time. Yeah, yeah. And guys, to put this into something that's really, I think everybody can relate to, I'm pretty sure many of you get it, but just in case, you know, when you're driving down the street and somebody cuts you off, and I know people that this just, they'll lose their cotton pig in mind, man. They'll tailgate them, honk their horn, yell, scream, this, that, and the other. And just imagine that that person that is, you know, driving slow, cuts you off or whatever, they got stuff going on in their life too, man. They got somewhere to get. Maybe they're, I, I think of it like maybe they're, they got a cake in their car and they don't want to spill it. It's a wedding cake on the way to somebody's wedding or something like that or their five-year-old birthday, five-year-old's birthday or something like that. You just don't know. So why are you going to get pissed off at somebody who doesn't even know you're pissed off at them? <laughs> Mm-hmm. And get raise your blood pressure and, you know, possibly get you into an accident just because somebody did something and they're even oblivious to your existence in the world. It's it's just not worth it. It's not. So we like to think when we're angry, which is more or less resentment towards somebody else, is we think that we're punishing the other person. And the <laughs> truth is it doesn't punish them at all. It only punishes us. <clears throat> when we're resentful and highly anxious, it puts us in a completely unresourceful state. We're less creative. We're less assured. Uh, we're usually our mind thoughts are going someplace where it's completely unconstructive. So, you know, there is a chance when I walk outside of my door today, I could get hit by an asteroid. Let's call it one in a trillion chance that I get hit by an asteroid. And if I got hit by an asteroid, I'd go, you know what? It could happen. It was a very low chance it could happen, but I'm not going to get angry at the sky for an asteroid coming out of the sky and hitting me. So why would I get angry at a car that cuts me off? Now, the chances of me getting cut off when if I drive a mile is probably about one out of two. Why would I get angry at that? It's a high likelihood it's going to happen. It only punishes me. So resentment is like taking poison and hoping the other person is going to die. 
exactly. I love that one. Exactly. And hey, if you get hit by an asteroid at the at the least, you know, you're gonna get your name and your picture in the in the uh in the tabloids and in the uh headlines, right? Right. Exactly. <laughs> so what are the rituals that make the biggest impact in your life? Yeah, I think you start off with one of them, which is gratitude. Uh, and I, uh, every single day, think about how grateful I am and how fortunate I am for what I have in my life. When I was a young kid, I used to think, well, first I'm going to get my life the way I want to be, want it to be, and then I'll be happy. And what I know uh, as a very old man now is gratitude precedes happiness. We're grateful first, then the happiness follows. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's a big one. Uh, number two, uh, I shower love on my wife uh, every single day, uh, both in affection and then I'm always thinking about my wife and how I can help her, whether it be when I'm going to the room, I ask her what she might need, or I scratch her back, which she likes a lot every single night. Uh, and every single day, I wake up with the first things out of my mouth, or I love you, wife, uh, every single day. And that practice of showering love, both on my spouse and my kids, pays amazing dividends. I'm incredibly affectionate, but it creates a household of a lot of loving kindness. Uh, I love it. Absolutely. It's, it's very similar to my household. Only I usually I get up way earlier than everybody else. And I just greet my wife with a cup of coffee. That makes everything good. It does. It does. That's <laughs> wonderful. Yeah. Love that. So on so many levels. Uh, so what are you reading or listening to that you would recommend to our abundant leaders and why? I'm really well. First of all, I, I'm a podcast junkie. Uh, I've got probably mm. 20 different podcasts that I'm listening to on a regular basis. Uh, my favorite new podcast is called Pivot uh, by Kara Swift and Scott Galloway. Scott Galloway is from another planet. He wrote the most amazing book called Four F O U R that talks about four technology companies, which are Facebook and Google and Amazon and Microsoft, I think, or Tesla. I can't remember which one it was. And the book was word for word has more intelligence than any other author I've ever heard put on paper. He's got so much brilliance. He's been a uh, startup of technology companies. Uh, plus, he also uh, is a marketing professor at NYU. Uh, Now he also does this podcast with Kara Swift, and it is absolutely amazing. He goes on two different types of rants. One kind of rant is where he starts actually intellectualizing and sharing his insight on technology, politics, business, and morality. And his rants, word for word, provide more value, more insight than any other human being I've ever found. The second kind of rant he has is a 14-year-old boy completely politically incorrect. I have never heard a college professor or a business leader speak the way he does on a regular basis. He's talking about drug use, sex, uh, inappropriate behavior on a regular basis. And you're going, oh my God, how does anybody take this guy seriously? How do you take these two juxtapositions of 14-year-old or 18-year-old college boy, frat boy, um, and this brilliant marketing mind meld them together and actually have somebody who's create, uh, and, uh, credible? And he does. So listen to him just for the entertainment value, let alone the insights, and seeing what an amazing personal brand this guy has cultivated. He, he's absolutely my favorite these days. Wow. Yeah, I'll definitely check that out because that's right up my alley. That's the kind of stuff I like to uh, listen to and, and um, binge on. And so I'll be looking for that. What do you feel holds most people back from living a life of true abundance? So... Um, in being involved in my community, you know, I've got 
Thrive Union, and we have weekly meetings. It's like a weekly personal development meeting. Thrive Union, uh, it's called Thrive Sunday. It's 11, 11 o'clock on, on Sunday mornings. Um, and it's part personal development, part connection, and part calming. We do meditation um, as well in those meetings. And one of the things that constantly amazes me about group of people is how most people have really forgot and lost the ability uh, to dream. They really have for, don't even know what possibility thinking is anymore. They basically have gotten themselves locked into their little lives, whatever they might be, and their lives are not moving or growing anywhere. So uh, I really wish on everybody uh, the gift of possibility thinking. So you think thinking about what your life, not what it is, but what it could be, and taking daily action every single day in the direction you want to head. Uh, as an entrepreneur, uh, I know that I want to get top of a mountain is kind of my vision. Uh, however, as I start walking toward that mountain, I might start walking up a path or up a pass somewhere in the mountain that turns out to be in a dead end or someplace I can't go and I'm having to come back down and start over again. And I don't let those um, fallbacks keep me in a way from progressing forward. Every single day, you've got to be progressing toward the life that you want to live. Wonderful. So what does being a man of abundance mean to you? So I was raised um, in the prosperity doctrine, and the prosperity doctrine basically has, has a big giant lie to it. And the lie is success equals happiness. Uh, you know, more money, better house, better cars, um, better looking spouse will make you happier. That's what I was really raised in until my early 40s. And then I realized it was a big giant fat lie. Uh, the only way to be happy is by living a life of purpose where you're providing value to humanity that makes you feel fulfilled and having uh, an internet, interconnected group of friends of close relationship. So being abundant to me is living a life of purpose where you're providing your unique gift to the world and people are recognizing it and you have a connected group of people family and friends in a community who value you as much as you value them, who know you as much as you know, you know them. So abundance to me is not, does not have anything to do with monetary things. It has all to do with your contribution and your relationships. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you also have to, in my mind anyway, you have to de de redefine, I had to redefine what success was because I was being told for many years success was all that material stuff and this, that, and the other and having so much money in the bank. So you know what success is to me? This morning I was able to ride bikes to school with my son, drop the bike off, give him a hug before he goes into the classroom, and then go to the fitness center and do my thing or whatever. You know, that that's success for me. But whatever it is for you guys, that's great. But to live a life of abundance, the personal success is fine, but you have to take it further, and you have to be a, provide purpose and value to others. That's where you're starting to get into significance and abundance. So absolutely very well said there, Peter. I greatly appreciate your insight on that. Oh, my pleasure. So we are definitely going to have thriveunion.org linked up in the show notes. But before I let you go, what else did we not what did we not talk about today that you want to ensure that our abundant leaders get out of our conversation? And how can we find more of you? 
So I'm also going to be starting up a podcast, and I really want to do a call-in show where I take phone calls from aspiring leaders of self and or of organizations with their leadership challenges. So I would love for people to call uh, – visit my website, which is petermontoyaleadershipexperience.com. Peter Montoya Leadership Experience.com. Uh, click the button for schedule a phone call. Call me up. You can call me up completely and totally anonymously. We'll talk about your either personal leadership issue or your organizational leadership issue, and we'll walk it through, and I'll give you actionable ideas on how to improve that situation. That would be a wonderful gift. I'm looking for more callers that I can actually use to launch my show. Wow, that's amazing. And we'll definitely have that linked up in the show notes as well, as that I'm sure many of you aren't in a place where you can write that down. So don't worry about it. Just check out the show notes and of this episode, and you'll be able to click on that link and go directly there and take advantage of that, because that is pretty darn awesome. Thank you. Basically, it's very expensive coaching provided for free. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Take advantage of that. So Again, great conversation, Peter. Go out, live your life of abundance, and make sure to keep paying it forward because it is making a huge difference. I greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much, Wally. I really enjoyed our conversation and wish you all the success and thriving in the world. All right, men of abundance, I'm gathering you might be able to guess what your action step is for today. That is, one, if you feel that you are in a bit lonely and left out, then do what you can to reach out. Heck, reach out to me. Go on to the Men of Abundance group or find another group that you resonate with and hang out with some people that enjoy doing the things that you enjoy doing or just find something that you can resonate with. Now, that is extremely important for you to do that for your own personal well-being. If you happen to be a person who is very well connected and have all the right people around you, reach out to others. You never know who is out there lonely. There's people that are reaching out to you sometimes, and sometimes we don't even really pay attention to why they're reaching out to us. Or, you know, we might even, somebody will reach out to me and I'll be like, oh my goodness, what's this guy want now? You know, and I got to get rid of that thought process. That isn't abundant thinking. Everybody who reaches out to me, you know, either just wants to say hi and some of them are reaching out because they want something and some of them are reaching out because they need something. And sometimes that something is nothing more than a conversation, somebody to listen, some, somebody to listen to them just to have that conversation. You know, what's even stronger. Pick up the phone. You know, we have these phones in our hands and we've still, I personally, I'll speak for myself, I very seldom get on the phone and have a conversation with somebody. I'm usually texting or messaging or something of that nature. More recently, I've been on Zoom. I'm, I'm on two to three Zooms almost every single day with somebody in some country or even here locally. I mean, I'm in a couple networking groups. I'm talking with clients. I'm just connecting with people that I've connected with on LinkedIn or Facebook, and we're just having a conversation and getting to know each other. It's exhausting sometimes, I'll admit, and it does make me want to go take a nap, and I do, <laughs> because I'm in a position where I can do that. But it truly enlightens me uh, to be able to have conversations with people sometimes, many times actually, that have opposing views from mine in the abundance mindset or in other aspects of life. And that's okay, as long as we can learn from each other. Because when I am talking with somebody and I'm having a conversation, I'm listening for understanding. 
I'm listening for enlightenment. I'm not listening and, and thinking of a way that I can come up with a way to be right. I'm not stuck on being right. I'm stuck on trying to learn from others. That's why I love having these amazing conversations. So reach out. Rather, you need somebody to talk to or reach out to those who may need to have a conversation. Now, go out, live your life of abundance, and make sure to pay it forward. That's all for today, Abundance Leaders. For more about our guests and the powerful information we shared with you today, be sure to sign up for our mailing list at menofabundance.com. We appreciate your time and look forward to hanging out with you on our next episode. So until then, be sure to pay it forward and live your life of abundance. Oh, 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 oh,